This is the podcast, Science and Scriptures, Season 1, Episode 17, or Freedom and Agency, The Right to Choose. Hello, everyone. This is Scott Fraser, and welcome to another episode of Science and Scriptures. Every week, I try to choose topics that relate to current events that are taking place in our world. The topic I picked for this week seems to be receiving a lot of attention lately, specifically our freedoms. Surprisingly, much of the discussion is both bitter and angry. It is interesting to compare what we know about our freedoms in the United States to the agency we enjoy on this earth. So today, we are going to discuss our freedoms and agency. I have several grandchildren now who are toddlers. And toddlers are a great age, well, usually. Generally, my toddler grandchildren are sweet and happy. Except, of course, when they're not. There is a reason that two-year-olds have earned the moniker the Terrible Twos. Because in the Terrible Twos, toddlers seem to have developed enough to realize that they should have a freedom of choice. Is this a natural result of being two years old? Or does someone tell our toddlers that they now have the freedom to choose? As infants... Babies have their parents take away things from them all the time. Fine, no problem. But as those infants turn two years old, it appears they realize that they have agency, and they demand that right to choose. Their choice may be to climb a bookcase, or to play with a certain toy, or to empty a kitchen cabinet. But if you try to take away their right to make their choice, then you will immediately have a screaming toddler on your hands. Their attitude is that they have the freedom to choose, and they are being denied that right. So, where did they learn that? As our children become teenagers, the question of freedom of choice becomes a question again. At least now your teenage son can verbalize his logic for getting his way. The logic may be questionable, of course. I never understood their reasoning when my children told me they should get to do something because all the other kids get to do it. But again, it comes down to a tug-of-war on what freedoms a 16-year-old should have. What time is a fair curfew? Do freedoms increase when the 16-year-old turns 17? The concept of freedom is still being defined. 245 years after our Declaration of Independence, and the United States is still trying to figure out what freedom means. What freedoms or powers does the president have? What freedoms do protesters have? Should we have the freedom to not wear face masks or practice social distancing? Do businesses have the right to remain open when the government tells them to close during COVID outbreaks? I just saw the movie, The American President, a few weeks ago. It's a great movie starring Michael Douglas as Andrew Shepard, the President of the United States who lost his wife to cancer. The actress Annette Bening plays Sidney Ellen Wade, an environmental lobbyist and the President's love interest. Re-election is coming up. The President is being attacked by another candidate for being a member of the American Civil Liberties Union and because his girlfriend, played by Annette Bening, was present at a flag-burning protest years ago. Throughout the movie, President Shepard puts up with his criticism, refusing to be baited. But finally, in the end, he unleashes a speech that is hard to forget, because within that speech is the following quote, which completely changed my understanding of what freedom is. He said, America isn't easy. America is advanced citizenship. You gotta want it bad, because it's gonna put up a fight. It's gonna say, you want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land as the land of the free? Then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag, 
The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free. We all tend to think of freedom as something that gives us the right to do what we want. America has fought wars to maintain our freedoms. Some of you listening may have even joined the military to help in that effort, and I thank you for your service. We pay taxes to support a standing army to maintain our freedoms. We say the Pledge of Allegiance. We sing the Star-Spangled Banner. We love the freedom that the Founding Fathers, our Constitution, and democracy gave to us. We sacrifice so much for our freedoms that we think that all Americans should agree on what is best for the country. From this movie quote, we learn that the downside to freedom is that it is freedom for all. Freedom often involves listening to other people talk, some of whom you totally disagree with. That realization changes your fundamental understanding of what freedom is. The American flag is a symbol for our country. We respect that country and our flag. But there have been many times that people have been so angry with our country that they burn our flag to symbolize that anger. The right to burn the flag has been debated in this country for decades. The burning of the American flag has an interesting history. Reacting to protests during the Vietnam War era, the United States 90th Congress enacted the Flag Protection Act of 1968, making it illegal to mutilate, deface, physically defile, or burn a flag. In June 1990, the Supreme Court struck down the Flag Protection Act, ruling that the government's interest in preserving the flag as a symbol does not outweigh the individual's First Amendment right to disparage that symbol. Ironically, you have the freedom to burn the flag that symbolizes your freedoms, including the one that allows you to publicly burn that flag. Freedoms are more important than symbols. In the same movie, President Shepard was also criticized for being a card-carrying member of the American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU. My father did not like the ACLU, and I remember him complaining about them repeatedly as I grew up. The ACLU took on the causes and defense of some people who had committed terrible crimes. That did not mean those terrible people no longer had the right to due process and a fair trial. The ACLU existed to guarantee those rights, however unpopular it made them. Before moving into a discussion about agency, allow me to repeat the quote from this movie so that we can see how it might be applicable in a discussion about agency. You want free speech? Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. Now show me that. Defend that. Celebrate that in your classrooms. Then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free. Many of the same things about the freedoms in our country can be said about our agency. In the pre-existence, we fought a war to guarantee our agency, the right to make our own decisions about how we live our lives. We agreed to risk our eternal lives so that we could have the right to choose that eternal life. I fully agree with you that my own personal agency is great, but the fact that I must recognize the agency in other people, including the people whom I love, is often difficult. To those of you listening who have children under the age of 18, someday you will look back at this time as the good old days, or the years that you could still tell your children what to do. Because let me tell you, you won't get to tell your children what to do when they are adults. I remember when my youngest son, Sean, was about 10 years old. Sean was an athlete, and that summer he had played both baseball and soccer. The schedules overlapped considerably, and it was a crazy time just getting him to practices, games, and matches, as well as scout camp and other summer activities. The following summer, I gave him a choice, baseball or soccer. 
Now, I had been his coach for baseball. I had grown up playing baseball, and I loved coaching. I never played soccer, I didn't feel I could coach it, and I didn't even really understand the rules. In fact, to this day, I am unclear about the rule of offsides. But Sean's two best friends were big soccer players, so he chose soccer. I remember to this day my disappointment and wondering why I'd given him the choice in the first place. When my daughter Morgan was in college, I would take the opportunity during our phone calls to give her my sage advice. One day she told me, Dad, you know that I am old enough to make my own decisions, right? Resigned to the fact, I answered, Morgan, just say the words, thank you for your counsel, Father. I will seriously take it into consideration. That's all I want to hear. So that became our key phrase for communication. Whenever I got a bit too fatherly, she would say, thank you for your counsel, Father. I will seriously take it into consideration. I miss the days when I could threaten to take away Morgan's cell phone to get her to do what I wanted her to do. During one argument, I remember pretending to dial Verizon to cancel her account. I never actually took away Morgan's cell phone, but she was never quite sure if I would or not, so the ploy worked. Those were the good old days. But recognizing other people's agency doesn't always mean subordinating yours. The last time I was able to influence the direction of my son Sean's life was when he went to college. He had a girlfriend who was going to a local university in Minnesota. Sean wanted to go with her, against our wishes that he go to college in Utah. I told him, Sean, it's your life, and I can't control your decisions, but I get to decide where I spend my money. I'll be happy to pay for your tuition in Utah, but I won't pay for tuition in Minnesota. Sean ranted and fumed, but since he had little savings of his own at the time, and he did not want to delay college, he selected to go to Utah. Sean served his mission a year later, possibly due to the decision of where he first went to college. I am very proud of him. So you don't think poorly of my children, Most of my children's decisions have been correct and well thought out. They chose successful careers and married wonderful people. I love my sons-in-law and my daughters-in-law. Thank heavens for that. But my children have made some poor decisions too, several of which they didn't tell me about until the damage of those decisions was done. Let me see if I can put President Shepard's speech into terms of agency instead of free speech. You want free agency? Let's see you allow your children, who you love deeply, to make choices that will make your blood boil, who are starting to live their own lives and making choices that you will know will end badly for them. Though you wish you could do so, you cannot advocate at the top of your lungs that they make other choices. Though you are a parent and have spent a lifetime raising your children, you can only softly advise and pray they listen to your counsel. I realize I'm making it sound like being the parent of an adult child is terrible. In reality, it is not. You just have to go to being able to issue parental commands to, following the instructions of the hymn, know that every soul is free. I quoted a line from this hymn a week or two ago, but this hymn is so applicable. It goes like this. Know this, that every soul is free to choose his life and what he'll be. For this eternal truth is given that God will force no man to heaven. He'll call, persuade, direct, or right, and bless with wisdom, love, and light. In nameless ways be good and kind but never force the human mind. When my grandson Owen turned eight years old, I spoke at his baptism. Owen and his father loved golf, so I compared his baptism to playing a round of golf with the adults in his life. As we approach each driving tee, we will feel the need to coach Owen about his golf swing. Owen's dad might say, remember to keep your head down. I might say, keep your eye on the ball. His uncle, who also loves golf, may encourage Owen to follow through with your swing But then comes the time that all the adults must say, 
Okay, Owen, it's up to you now. And then we adults all need to be quiet and allow Owen to take his swing. That is what baptism represents. Starting with his baptism, the adults in the room must learn to talk less and allow Owen to start making his own choices. Baptism represents many things, not the least of which is that this young person is making a wise decision and needs to be allowed to make many more. In Doctrine and Covenants 101, we read why agency is non-negotiable. That every man may act in doctrine and principle pertaining to futurity, according to the moral agency which I have given unto him, that every man may be accountable for his own sins in the day of judgment. In other words, the final judgment will not work unless everyone has their agency to make decisions. I know of families that have had arguments that lasted for years, for from the point of view that everyone has their agency, such arguments make no sense. Such questions come down to who has the right to make the decision. That is the point of agency. The war in the pre-existence assures that we have the freedom to choose how to live our lives. There will be consequences, of course, for both the good and the bad decisions. Our final judgment will review our decisions and the verdict will be made. In the meantime, the argument with adult children or grandchildren about the freedom to make their own decisions is a losing proposition. I'm making it sound simple, but determining who gets to make a decision can be very complex. Where does one family member's freedoms end? because they are starting to impede upon the freedom of other family members. Families can learn to deal with disagreement. My wife Sherry and I have been married for 40 years, and she still disagrees with me on certain topics. We have discussed these topics for hours on end, usually over dinner or long drives, but amazingly enough, I haven't convinced her of everything I believe in. We agree to disagree. Her arguments and beliefs are part of the who she is, and I wouldn't change that. That respect of others' rights to choose must extend to friends and neighbors as well. Logically, I might expect that other ward members are pretty much the same as me. We live in the same neighborhood, we have about the same level of education, and we have all been taught the gospel. We know the reasons we are on earth and the commandments we should obey. We have the teachings of Jesus Christ, such as his Sermon on the Mount, to tell us how to deal with other people. One might expect from all these similarities that we would be more alike but I am constantly surprised at how different I am from members of my own church ward. Good friends have opinions very different from my own. Your set of beliefs are set by the following variables. Number one, your DNA. You inherited certain aspects of your physical appearance, temperament, and personality from your parents. DNA establishes what we look like, and physical appearance affects how we are treated by others. Our opinions about other people are affected by this treatment as well. Number two, your upbringing. You learn many characteristics from your upbringing. You absorb political opinions and your worldview from your parents. You observe how your parents act, how your siblings behave, and how your childhood friends conduct themselves. Number three, your experiences as an adult might be lumped in with upbringing, but I think it deserves its own category. One experience as an adult can have serious effects on your outlook on life and religion. A broken heart, being denied by a college you wish to attend, choosing to serve or not serve a mission, a good or bad first job, all of these experiences will affect your beliefs. So if I asked you why you believed in the principle of tithing or church welfare, could you tell me? Unless you have extraordinary insight into your own motivations and beliefs, I doubt it. Your testimony about any particular church doctrine or political belief has been defined by multiple teachings and experiences. You probably came to some of these realizations during childhood, 
which you likely don't even remember. Despite apparent similarities you share with your neighbors, differences in DNA, upbringing, and adult experiences have led to differences in political opinions, gospel understandings, ideas on how to raise children, etc. And we must accept those differences. The war in heaven established our right to agency. An inspired constitution established our right to freedoms in the United States. Both are bigger than our anxieties about the decisions of another person. So that is all I have for you today with this episode as a foundation. Next week, I would like to talk about the fine line between respecting others' agency and beliefs and then trying to teach them. Social media has changed much about how we teach. On the positive side, the goal of instruction has always been to open up new understandings about the universe and the gospel. Lately, social media has encouraged many people to conclude that any attempt to teach them is an assault on their structure of beliefs. Not wishing to offend, this definition has changed how we dare to interact with one another. But it's not a healthy change. As individuals, we need to be teachable, an aspect of life that we will discuss next time. So this is Scott Fraser with the podcast Science and Scriptures. Thanks for listening. Take care.